this morning has a definite trajectory. We're, we're heading in a direction. And the direction that we're heading is right here at this table, the Lord's table. It's not the table of Signal Mountain Bible Church. And when we were partake at the end of the service, everyone who knows the name, who, who names the name of Jesus as your Savior, you are invited, whether you remember this church or not, to partake of the Lord's table. We rejoice that we are headed in that direction because there we remember him. What Jesus did was he took the two most common elements on any Jewish table, bread and wine, and invested them with eternal significance so that whenever they would sit at the table and there's the bread and wine, we would always remember him. So across the continents, across the centuries, those who have placed their faith for their salvation, not in their good works, but in the death, burial, and resurrection of the God-man, the Word become flesh, who dwelt among us, who fulfilled all of the suffering prophecies of the Messiah, and who will fulfill all the victory prophecies of the Messiah, is our Lord in whom we trust. And, and who are the people who partake of this table? Charlie. Jack. Donna. Kurt, Randy, Lewis, Hava. We're the ones who partake of this table. You know who else has history in this table? Andronicus, Junius, Urbanus, Aristobulus, Trephena, Trephosa, Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, Philologus. Oh, you're sitting there thinking, okay, I've heard this before. Gary preached on those names a few weeks ago. But they, the truth of the matter is, communion is both vertical, that is, our communion and worship of Jesus, and horizontal. Because it is communion, and your worship joins the worship of everyone around you, as well as the worship of those who have gone before you. And we often say this, but even more, I think we should think it, make sure that we think it, and that is that at the foot of the cross, we stand together, arm in arm, on level ground, united, not divided by gender, race, education, social status, Galatians 3.28 is clear. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. Now, do those, ex do those divisions exist? Yes, they do. But in that which matters, in who we are, you are one in Christ Jesus, Paul says. This past Thursday, I was down the mountain, Food City in Red Bank, and uh, I was looking for something I couldn't find. Figured the lady in the deli, I mean, people in the deli know everything, so I helped, asked if she could help me find it. She couldn't find it. So I couldn't find it. She couldn't find it. She said, we'll need to get Mr. Paul. Mr. Paul will know. So we went to the back of the store, and there was a black man who looked to be about my age, stocking shelves. And uh, she asked him, and sure enough, he found it. <laughs> and uh, I thanked him, and we talked for a minute. And he looked at me and he said, do you mind if I ask what you do for a living? 
And I said, well, I, I'm a pastor. And he said, I knew it. Now, I never know what to say when somebody does, you know, do I have a thing on my face that says, give me money, or, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you say? I knew it. And then we started visiting. And uh, as we visited, I learned he was the pastor of an African Methodist Episcopal church up north, AME church up north, and had retired to Chattanooga and was serving as an elder at the AME church off, off of Broad Street. And uh, I, I said, uh, you know, you don't look very retired to me working here. And he laughed and agreed, and he said, I, he said, I bet I'm 10 years older than you are. And I said, I don't think so. I'm almost 70. And he laughed, and he said, I'm 17 years older than you are. And I said, that's impossible. <laughs> and he grinned and said, with God, all things are possible. <laughs> You know, you just got to give up when other preachers quote scripture at you. <laughs> and his name, his name tag said, Mr. Paul. It's Mr. Paul. I thought that was his last name. He said, everyone in the store calls him Mr. Paul out of respect for his age. And he, he said, these young people need to learn respect. But he said, you can call me Paul and I'll call you Gary. And I can't begin to tell you how sweet that was. And I can't begin to tell you how sweet I think it was to Jesus. And I can't begin to tell you how sweet it will be to meet Andronicus and Junius and Tertius and Gaius and Quartus the body of Christ is something we're to treasure and love and rejoice in. And here we are, having gone through the book of Romans in the farewell section of the book. One scholar observed that Paul's closing greetings is longer than the sound of music's song, So Long, Farewell. That song is, I checked it on YouTube, it's 2 minutes and 40 seconds. And then I read through Romans 16, and it took me three minutes and 46 seconds, over a full minute longer, to read that chapter. Have you ever listened to a preacher use the word, finally? We try not to use that here because we try to be truthful. <laughs> How many times does Paul use finally in Romans? Zero. Now, he does use Finally, in 2 Corinthians and in Ephesians, he uses it twice in Philippians, man after my own heart. He uses it in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, not in Romans though. Last week, Lewis covered up to Romans 16, verse 20, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And verse 20 is the beginning of the end. The book then closes with final greetings and a doxology. Now, when we were studying verses 3 through 15, we looked at the people whom Paul at Corinth wanted to greet in Rome. And there were 26 people, 
26 friends. Two of them were unnamed. Nine of them were women. All of them were people who were receiving greetings. But here in verses 21 to 24, we have greetings to the Roman believers from eight people. All of them men, all named, all of them living in Corinth, all of them sending greetings. So look with me at Romans 16, beginning with verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. And so do Lucius and Jason and Zosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and the whole church, greets you. Aristos, the city treasurer, greets you. And Quartus, the brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And then follows the doxology, which is next week. Earlier, the people in Rome were receiving greetings. But here in verses 21 to 23, we have greetings to the Roman believers from these people. These are, this is a list of believers in Corinth. And so we've got these two lists. I want you to get this. We've got these two lists of people in, this, in these greetings. And we don't know much about these people. But the people in the early part of the chapter were receiving greetings. These people are sending the greetings. And I want to suggest who some of these people might be, even though we don't know much about seven of the eight. I'm going to name some names before we go to the Lord's table. Now, verse 21 begins, Timothy, our fellow, bro- our fellow worker, greets you as do Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsman. Timothy is usually named at the beginning of Paul's epistles. This is the only time he is included in the closing greetings. And we know a lot about Timothy. We studied him not long ago, and I'll mention a few of those things later. We'll come back to that. Paul then mentions Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, his kinsmen. Now, back in verse 7, Paul made a detailed reference to his kinsmen who were Christians before him. And I believe those people were his blood relatives. I take this to be different from his earlier reference because here the term probably means fellow Jews, his kinsmen according to the nation of Israel, which would distinguish them from Timothy who was not born a Jew. Now the first one of these individuals is named Lucius. This is probably Lucius the Cyrene. In Acts 13, there were several teachers in the church at Antioch, Syrian Antioch. And the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And they set them apart, they prayed over them, and they sent them out. And the teachers in that church who sent them out, one of them was named Lucius. This is the only other person we have by that name. If, so, if this is the same man, and I think it was, this would mean that Lucius was one of the men not, not only who commissioned and sent Paul out on the first missionary journey, but years later followed him to the mission field. It's likely, but we truly are not 100% sure of that identification. Jason, the next name, is not mentioned anywhere else in Paul's letters, but he does appear in Acts 17 in Thessalonica. He was the man that Paul stayed with. And Thessalonica was relatively close to Corinth, where Paul is writing and sending the greetings. 
So I assume that this is that guy. Jason was the one not only whom Paul stayed with, he was forced to post a bond with the magistrate so that for Paul to leave town safely uh, and and not be thrown into jail. So uh, my, my guess is Jason is that guy, which would mean he's a prominent believer who's using his life, his time, and his wealth to advance the gospel. The last one that's mentioned here in this verse is Sosipater. Not a popular name in our culture. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. But sometimes names were shortened. Uh, Prisca, Priscilla, and, and other examples of that. Uh, there's a Sosipater from Berea. Again, Berea is close to Corinth. And if this is that individual, Sosipater, I think it is, then that means he traveled with Paul to Macedonia after a riot in Ephesus. In fact, there are several in this list who were a part of Paul's traveling party, which would make sense. He's, they're close to Paul, and they're sending greetings from Corinth to the uh, believers in Rome. Look at verse 22. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. This, you can really mess people up with this. Trivia question, who wrote the book of Romans? Well, Tertius did. (laughs) Actually, he inscribed it. We know nothing about Tertius except he was Paul's secretary. And Paul wanted to send his greetings and have those included along with those of the other brothers at Corinth. Paul usually dictated his epistles to secretaries and then would sign them himself. I'm going to read you some things from his epistles. I'm just trying to create some backstories here so that you can see these guys. Um, he, he, would, he, he would dictate them and sign them himself. And, and by the way, we don't know why he would do that. Uh, there is some speculation that Paul had an eye malady and that that may well have been identified with his thorn in the flesh. That is a possibility. Uh, Paul said that... Uh, uh, to the Galatians, I know that while I was with you, if you, I was with you in sickness, and if you could have, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. As to the Galatians, um, when 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 he was saved, how did what did God do? Well, He struck him with blindness and these things on his eyes like scales. So m- maybe God used an eye malady as a part of His thorn in the flesh. We're not sure. Those are things to you kind of wonder about not things to die for but listen to what Paul says at the end of these epistles just just listen as I read them to you first Corinthians sixteen twenty one. this greeting is in my own hand Paul so that's he's signing it Galatians six eleven. see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand Colossians 4.18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. And this one's fascinating. 2 Thessalonians 3.17. Now, what's fascinating about it is that the church at Thessalonica had received a letter that said it was from Paul. It was a forgery. 
And it said, you are already in the day of the Lord. The tribulation has come. You're smack dab in it. And Paul, so Paul wrote to them and he said that they not be quickly shaken from your composure and be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us that the day of the Lord has come. Well, here's what he says at 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 17. This is how he concludes. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. It's easy to pass over that. But he's giving his signature. And they can measure it against any forgery that was giving them false doctrine. So... At any rate, Tertius was his scribe. I, I wonder, we don't know anything about him. I, I do wonder if uh, Paul one day uh, said, uh, Tertius, take a brief letter. <laughs> uh, Ambrosiaster, who was one of the church fathers, wrote a commentary on Romans in 366 A.D., and this is what he said. He said, Tertius was the scribe who wrote the epistles, and Paul allowed him to send his own greetings to the Romans. But then, I, then he said this, and I love what he said. This is from Ambrosiaster, one of the, church, one of the later church fathers. He, he said this, Tertius was his name, not a number. Why would he add that? Because Tertius is the Latin ordinal number for third. Primus, secundus, Tertius. Hi, third. So, I mean, who would name their child third? Third base. So, I, I don't know. But what we do know is that Tertius aligns himself with others and is a follower of Jesus. He doesn't just greet them, he greets them in the Lord. The next guy is in verse 23, Gaius. Host to me in the whole church greets you. Gaius is one of those people at the foot of the cross who had a lot of money. He hosted Paul as a long-term lodger, and he hosted the church. We do see him elsewhere in Scripture. Hold your place here and turn, actually, one chapter over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. 1 Corinthians 1, 11. So he's writing to the church at Corinth. And he's writing Romans from Corinth. So you see the connection immediately. 1 Corinthians 1.11 For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized? In the name of Paul, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. There he is, Gaius. So that no one would say you were baptized in my name. And Crispus and Gaius are not going to say that. And then he says in verse 16, Now, uh, I did baptize the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Paul would not have been a good Baptist preacher. He kept awful baptismal records. So here he is, and Gaius was the one whom he baptized. 
Um, and he's writing to the Romans from Corinth. And I've never noticed this before until I was studying it this week. Paul does not say, as he does earlier, uh, of the saints in Rome, the saints who are with them, at, meaning a, a church meets in his house. Instead of Gaius, he says, a host to me and to the whole church, which means either Gaius allows all the separate house churches <clears throat> at Corinth to use his home as their meeting venue at different times, or what seems more likely, Gaius has a large enough space that all of the house churches, when they they come together, can gather in his space. Now, if that's the case, did any of the believers at Corinth struggle with what Gaius had compared to what they didn't have? Did any of them ever resent that? Or did, did they appreciate it? Were they thankful for it? I don't know. Here's the next guy, and he's also well-to-do. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you, and Cortus, the brother. Now, I just pronounced him, his name, the way a good southern boy would, Erastus. I grew up in the south saying, Erastus, Erastus. But the Greeks know their own names. Argyrus and Dina Petru's son, whose wedding the Greece te- I, I was able to attend in Greece, in Athens, is named Aristos. And it's very clear that it's not Erastus, it's Aristos. Sounds a lot better. Aristos is called here the city treasurer. Other translations render the phrase the city manager, kind of like a mayor. Uh, there was a Latin inscription that was discovered you won't believe this, 1929, 1929, at Corinth, and it was dated to the middle of the first century, which would be this time, and it refers to a public paving project in the city of Corinth and for the streets there that was financed personally by the city manager, and it names him Aristos, same guy. He also was involved in accompanying Paul for a while on the third missionary journey. And at the end of Paul's life, Paul writes in 2 Timothy, Aristos remained at Corinth, which is where he was from. But Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Last name is Cortus. Cortus is a man without any New Testament connections that we know of, except that Paul calls him brother. He's part of the family of God, part of the body of Christ. Paul's brother, your brother, my brother. And it's kind of funny. I didn't tell you the rest of the story about Tertius. Do you remember the Latin ordinal numbers? Primus, Secundus, Tertius, and Quartus. Fourth. That was his name, Fourth. Actually, the Roman Empire was populated with highly educated former slaves who were now freedmen. Maybe that makes sense of names like third and fourth. I don't know. But here's here's what I'm getting at. Are you seeing a a diversity of backstories here? Are are you seeing that there's, there's Aristos, the mayor? That there's Gaius, the money guy? And then there's third and fourth? All together, one 
in the body of Christ because God uses all kind of people together in the body of Christ. As I said, we don't know much about seven of these eight names. We do know a great deal about Timothy. We know about his backstory. We know about how God used him over and over again in many different ways. And I, I think it's just astonishing to listen to some of the things that he did. He accompanied, and I'm going to give you a list. Now, this is the first Sunday where we don't have the children uh, dismissed to children's church. So I need the children, I need the children in here to respond to me. When I ask, guess who, I want you to give me the name of this man. And his name starts with a T and rhymes with Timothy. Who do you think he is? Shout it out. Timothy. So one more time, when I say, guess who? Oh, we've got to do better than that. When I say, guess who, I want to hear Timothy. Okay. <laughs> we will do well. <laughs> okay. This man accompanied Paul on the second and third missionary journeys, which included, and I'm quoting, Dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among fox brethren, and hardship, labors, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, without food and cold and exposure. These were hard trips in the belly of a ship, on horseback, by foot, carrying everything that they had with them, and they planted churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, other places. Guess who this man was that went with Timothy? Guess who? Timothy. All right. This man is included in the greetings of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Philippi, Corinth, Rome, Colossae, and Philemon. He connected with all of those churches, and they connected with him. He ministered to them. Guess who? Timothy. All right. The most prominent church... Uh, in Asia Minor was Corinth. It was also the church that had the most problems, big problems. We read a little bit about it. Viciously partisan, and almost every Christian leader had enemies at Corinth. Not a good place to minister. Guess who was Paul's liaison to the Corinthian church? Guess who? Timothy. Exactly. When Paul was at Ephesus, a riot broke out. And the riot was against the Christians. Paul had to leave Ephesus, but he had to leave someone, he left someone there in that hard place with the riots to take care of that church. Guess who he left? Timothy, exactly. When Paul returned from the third missionary journey, he was put in jail for two years at Caesarea Philippi before he appealed to Caesar. And this man stayed with him, cared for his needs. When Paul was sent to Rome, he went with him, which meant he was shipwrecked. Uh, he, when they entered into Rome, and he took care of Paul's needs there in Rome while Paul was imprisoned. And at this time, Paul wrote Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. And this man is referred to being with Paul in three of those four books. Guess who that was? Timothy. Exactly. When Paul was set free for a period of a few years, a period of few years and ventured out again on those dangerous journeys, this man went with him again. And in fact, 
this man was again left at Ephesus to take care of that church. Guess who that was? Exactly. Now, because Timothy was at Ephesus, that means that when Paul was arrested again, Timothy was not with him. And Paul knew this time he was going to die. He was going to be executed by the Romans. So Paul wrote his very last book before he died. And he wrote it to a man that he called my beloved son. And he asked if he could get there in time to be with him while he died. Guess who he wrote to? Timothy, 2 Timothy. Maybe three to five years after Paul's execution, this man kept on serving Jesus no matter what the risk, no matter what the danger. Hebrews 13, 23 speaks of him. He says, take notice that our brother, guess who? That our brother Timothy has been released, and that is from prison. With whom, if he comes soon, I shall see you. Now, God used this man in mighty ways, even though he, as a child, listen, he was biracial, half Jew, half Greek. Didn't mean he was accepted by both. It meant he was rejected by both. To the Gentiles, he was just a Jew. And to the Jews, he was worse. He was an apostate Jew because he was uncircumcised. That's one thing. He was raised in a single-parent home. His father was dead. First time we meet him, the text says that his father used to be a Greek, which means when he was alive, he was a Greek. So Timothy was raised in a single-parent home. His mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, raised him and put the Word of God into his heart. He also was timid by disposition. And we've talked about these things before. This is what we talked about last time when we studied Timothy uh, a couple of years ago, I think. He, he was, Paul exhorts Timothy not to be timid. Don't be ashamed. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. And it's interesting. Timothy was a liaison with Corinth. But my Goodness, if Corinth is the control group, look at the contrast with Titus. Just listen to this. In 2 Corinthians 7.15, Paul writes the Corinthians about Titus and says, you did well to fear him. And he writes to the same church about Timothy. When Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. Don't you scare him. That's Timothy. Timid disposition. He was sickly. He was chronically ill. Take a little wine for your stomach's sake, Timothy, and for your frequent ailments. Queasy stomach, chronic illness. Timothy had not much going for him. According to the world's checklist, he defines the definition of uncool. But that's the world's checklist. What made the difference in Timothy's life was the Word of God implanted from the earliest years, from the time you were a brephos, the text says, a word that's used of the infant, 
Timothy's earliest conscious memory is identified with Scripture being poured into his life by his mother and his grandmother. From the time you were at Brephos, you learned the sacred writings, sacred letters is the t- word there, we, the word grammata. We get our word grammar from it. Timothy was taught to read, apparently, from the Scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom unto salvation knowing from whom you learned this truth. So Timothy is under the word of God. He's being taught it from his earliest years. And then the the example of those who taught him that word. So Timothy was loved and accepted by God. He had no earthly father, but he had a heavenly father. He was loved and accepted by family members, his mother and his grandmother, who made sure the word was implanted in the DNA of his spirit from an early age. Third, he was loved and accepted by the family of God because the church at Lystra, the home church, saw deep value in this boy and committed him to Paul for ministry. And then fourth, he was loved and valued by Paul, who discipled him. And Paul was a sports nut. You know, boxing, wrestling, racing, discipline yourselves from godliness. There's the word gymnazo, from which we get our word gymnasium. Paul wanted to get there for the Corinthian games. And who is his son in the faith? My beloved son, Mr. Athlete, right? No. Guess who? Timothy. That's right. So, Timothy learned that God is in the business of taking ordinary people, even subordinary people, and doing extraordinary things in them and through them. Because here's the deal. If spiritual impact is explainable in terms of you, then who gets the glory? But if it's not explainable in terms of you, if it points beyond your abilities, see what God has done, he gets the glory. So, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, Tertius, Gaius, Aristos, Cortus, a mayor, a money guy, guys named third and fourth, Timothy, the loser, only not. Fast forward a few centuries, Bob, Randy, Steve. Here we are, the body of Christ. It's called family. It's called level ground. It's called together. It's called the church. It's called communion. You call me Paul, and I'll call you Gary. One in the body of Christ. It's the bread and the cup and what they represent that reminds us that we belong to Jesus. And and that we belong to one another. I'm going to ask the men to come forward as we partake of the elements.